Hello and welcome back to episode two of season three of the Hopeful Influence podcast, where we are taking a deeper dive in what AI looks like, artificial intelligence, and how that will affect uh, and influence our leadership and so we are going to drop straight back in to where we were up to with our conversation with Eve Poole Um, and we are going to be exploring and looking at uh, what is junk code and how does it work and how uh, what does it look like for us to use junk code in terms of AI moving forward so we hope you enjoy uh, the listen uh, and we'll see you at the other end. There's a term, Eve, that you introduce in your book, or you refer to in your book, that that sort of, I think, begins to sort of uh, give us a bit of a handle for thinking about this this fuller humanity, and it's this term junk code. Um, so what are you what what are you doing? What what do you what do you what do you mean by that? And and how is that helpful? I I love this term junk code, and I hope I hope you'll find it useful too because. When I got obsessed with this city on the beach panicking about robots and childhoods, I started trying to figure out, well, what have we copied? Um, And I thought about all of that highly brilliant kind of chess playing rationality and being able to monitor the gas supplies and, you know, all of that kind of uh, fabulous stuff you get A stars for. And I thought, well, there's certainly loads of things they haven't put in there, like all the embarrassing rubbish stuff about emotions and mistakes, uncertainty, all the stuff you'd sack a robot for. But when I started looking at all that junk code, so junk code in the trade, of course, is all the stuff that you're not quite sure why it's in the programming. Um, It might be there just because it's leftover stuff, you know, accidentally from before, kind of redundant instructions. It could be there deliberately to obfuscate so you can't copy the code. But anyway, junk code's rubbish. Um, But when you start, you know, looking on the cutting room floor at all this junk code and trying to pick it all up and figure out what it's there for you start noticing something really interesting about it. So the first item of junk code really is free will, um, because, of course, free will is a really terrible design choice because you're immediately putting your creation at risk. Um, If you don't give something free will, you can always control it. Um, The second you let it go with free will, you know, all bets are off. So that's the first thing, junk code. You you wouldn't knowingly, the free will bit, you would not knowingly give your robot free will if you thought about it, because we're already in a panic about our children having free will. You know, we're constantly grounding them and giving them rules and things because it is so worrying and risky, Um, particularly if you don't quite know what they're capable of. Um, uh, So we can come back to that. But, you know, you've got free will. You've got that as as a design objective in a human um, so what do you do to try and stop this species immediately just walking off the nearest cliff? Um, because if you are going to also give it omniscience and all those other lovely God properties, then you've got a problem about whether it's ever going to make the right choices. So there's then another six bit, bits of junk code that kind of come in pairs, which are about trying to not correct against free will, but certainly put in some guardrails and de-riskers and mitigations So the first two arise from our peculiarity as physical specimens. So we take nine months to gestate, which is a very long period of time. And even when we're born, we're pretty useless for the first while. We need a lot of care and attention. We're not particularly attractive, are we? We're kind of wailing and screaming and 
in a bodily form. I don't know, beautiful, beautiful babies. <laughs> remember those days? <laughs> I agree with you, you know, on this. I agree. You, I agree. <laughs> but you kind of wouldn't wish that on anyone, really. I mean, let, let alone the whole thing about being pregnant. So it's a very good idea to put in a bit of design code around the emotions because then we meet people, we fall in love with them, we think it'd be a good idea to have children with them. We go through a pregnancy, even if it makes us ill and feel odd um, because we're dying to meet our lovely child. Then we have the thing, you know, all that pain, you forget about it immediately because of the emotional connections. And, you know, you bond with this thing and you stick it out even at two in the morning when it still hasn't gone to sleep yet. And you, uh, you know, wits end and, you know, you love your partner, you love your mother because she did that for you. You love her mother because she did it for her. And, you know, all this emotional stuff means that you create bonds within a community that actually creates some safety in numbers. So that is a really crucial risk mitigator around free will is to create the safety in numbers, which you do through emotional bonding, which not only safeguards the, the progeny of your uh, creation, but, but allows this community to form around it. The other thing is that you don't kind of get bored with a PhD. So it takes you a while to kind of get bright about, you know, clever decisions and things like that. So the other rather useful bit of kit we've got is intuition or sixth sense. And it's that ability, even in very pressured or mystifying situations to have a gut feel about something. So, you know, whether you trust somebody, you know, a stranger stops you, do you fight them? Do you run away? What do you do? You know, do you go into a dark wood at the dead of night on your own? Do you go into a building? You know, we we don't really know what intuition is. There have been lots of books written about it, but we've all used it. We've all had a fine spidey sense about a phone call and that has guided our behaviour. So emotions and intuition are really rather important to help us safety in numbers and also make instinctive decisions when they may save our bacon. So that kind of keeps your species kind of going. It keeps it kind of going day to day. Then you need to figure out how can you stop it making foolish decisions kind of one by one by one. And what you do first with that is a really nice piece of junk code around uncertainty. Because the great thing about uncertainty is it makes you pause and it makes you wonder and maybe get more data, maybe ask someone, heaven forfend, a wiser soul than you. Um, you might entertain different possibilities. This Keats idea about negative capability and the ability to hold tensions in your head before you decide on a, a resolution. Um, and all of that is a kind of slowing down mechanism to try and make you think twice. So uncertainty is really rather important. And then we also have mistakes and mistakes are really interesting because we, of course, learn from mistakes. You know, you can see that with the toddlers learning how to walk. You see them fall down, get up, fall down, get up. And that's how they learn balance. That's how they learn pace. And that's how they ultimately learn to walk. And what's interesting is with both uncertainty and those sorts of mistakes, AI has already started taking that on board because if you think about a fairly basic AI that is coding um, or at least sorting cancer images, um, you you give it a fairly binary zero, one, yes, no, is this a cancer or not kind of uh, instruction. But what does it do if it gets an image that is fuzzy or blurred? Because if it miscategorizes that, you misdiagnose someone. So what they've done is they've used Bayesian AI around probabilities to have neural nets kind of vote, if you like, about levels of certainty. So if they're not certain enough about an image, 
it would be escalated to a person who could look at it and say, oh, that's a fuzzy image, let's redo it. So they've, they've kind of got the hang of uncertainty as a really important risk mitigator. And through reinforcement learning, they've figured out the trial and error learning by mistakes. But in humans, that bit of design goes further because it's not just the kind of mechanical learning by trying and failing, it's the moral learning. Because the thing about humans making mistakes is you're making them often in community and the community will react. They will shout at you, they will ostracize you, they will hate you, they will shun you, there will be feelings of shame because of all these emotions that we've got in our design. And that over time creates a new a conscience because you don't want to feel bad, disliked, unpopular, all those kinds of things that could threaten your very survival and happiness. So over time, you're de-risking your future decision making by developing conscience, which will keep you safer morally in community. So those bits of code are really important, but that still doesn't really solve the problem of what happens when things have gone horribly wrong and the community doesn't like you anymore or you've killed someone by accident or something really grim. What is going to make you get out of bed every day? What's going to make you want to keep going through the generations? So the final couple of bits of junk code are about meaning making and storytelling because meaning making gives you purpose and that makes you get out of bed in the morning and makes you feel that it's worth persisting. And humans have an extraordinary capacity for that. I mean, you look out into the sky and you go, oh, there's the plough. I mean, it isn't the plough, it's just some random stars. But, you know, we have decided that it, it looks like a thing and we've got a story about it and it helps us point to the north. And, you know, we sort of see a black cat cross our path or we read a horoscope. And I mean, humans are just extraordinary at creating meaning around them quite randomly and quite often erroneously, but, but usefully. Um, and then what we do with all that fantastic meaning making is we create stories and we create amazing stories and we keep creating them at every possible opportunity, but often around exactly the same themes and plots, because what stories are essentially doing is communicating right down through the generations from our ancestors, what's right, what's wrong, what works, what does good look like, what happens to good people, what happens to bad people. The religions are past masters at this because all the wisdom traditions have got very carefully kept stories which are about wisdom and trying to keep us on the straight and narrow. But all the myths and legends, all the fairy tales, all the old songs and tunes, I mean, all these things are all stories our ancestors have left us to try and steer us in a positive path. So when you start looking at all that junk code on the floor, you think, crikey, how clever is God? Because you think all those things are there to allow us to have free will, but to try and help us use it well. And the problem with AI is because we've been so hell-bent on just taking out the kind of shiny chess bits, um, we, we kind of discounted all of that as rubbish and, and embarrassing mistakes rather than crucial risk mitigators to help us flourish. So my message really is that we should be absolutely attending to that in our own design big time in a way that we've forgotten how to do. But also maybe some of those things give us some clues about how we might help AI to be better because actually we've just designed it badly by designing it so partially and not taking into account the richness of our own design. And actually, how would that ever end well? I mean, we've quite deliberately designed a master race of psychopaths. We've done it joyfully and we're very proud of that fact, but how would that ever end well? Brilliant, brilliant. Hey, this is, this is really helpful. We're really getting... <laughs> We're getting into what we need to talk about, oh, it's fantastic. The, I, I really like the junk code thing um, because, again, just um, you know, previous um, 
life careers thing. I was a, you know, started out as a bit of a techie and um, with the neural net stuff, but but you know, computer programming. Um, and this isn't an experience that lots of people can relate to. But I, you know, I know what it's like to sort of to be surfing, you know, going through code, trying to figure out how stuff works that other people have written, you know, you know, potentially years before. And you're kind of going through and you're trying to figure it out. You don't think, you can't figure it out. You think, oh, well, that is junk code. That isn't needed. So I'm going to delete it. Get rid of it. Because you get rid of it and then you sort of, you know, you run the And then the bugs happen. <laughs> that's right. You know, you start falling over doing all sorts of things. It's like you've taken stuff out. You've taken stuff out that needed to be in, but you hadn't figured out yet why it needed to be in. Mm-hmm. Analogy. And, and, and you're saying, I think, essentially, that as we are developing AI, it's like we, we're developing it you know, at, at the level we think we need it, but actually there's a load of, of, of this junk code stuff, you know, particularly, I think it's partic- if I've understood it correctly, it's particularly around when, you des- when you're building in the free will. Yes. And the, the, the ability to make autonomous sort of decisions, uh, you, you know, the, the sort of the self-learning piece, when, you, when you're building in that, that, that free will, there, you know, within the human condition, you know, as Christians, we would say, as God has developed it, God has built, has put this junk code in, this this, this deeper stuff to help anchor um, or, and, and, and help us navigate the application of our free will. So God's put this other stuff in. We've now implemented it or beginning to implement it in artificial intelligence. And we need to pay really close attention to the kinds of things that God built in for our, to marshal our free will. Otherwise, we could be in real trouble. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Great. I get it. I get it. Um, those things that I oh, guess like yeah. those things that seem like sometimes we curse them or I wish I didn't have to make mistakes or I wish God had made me different or I wish why did God let this happen actually become they 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 seem to be our, uh, a gift from God in the end. A real thing for us to look at and go, oh, I'm actually quite grateful for those things, those ways I can learn and be better from those things, don't they? I think that's absolutely right. And for me, they're the hallmarks of a human soul. Um, and that's why I called the book Robot Souls, because it feels to me that they are the essence of our humanity. And I'm sure it's brilliant that we're so clever um, and that we can solve all kinds of problems, but it's all the other stuff that actually is important. I mean, if you if you think about literature or any sort of culture, you know, it, it's a really interesting thought experiment to think, well, you know, what would robot literature be like? Because, of course, our literature is all about junk code. It's like people falling in love with the wrong people, making stupid mistakes, you know, faffing about making the wrong meanings. And, you know, all our stories are about junk code. They're not about, you know, chess problems. Um, And so there's something inherently vital and human about all of that mess. Um, And it seems so crucial um, that I think we neglect it at our peril. And and then what about... so, so So... I mean, I think this is this is one of the reasons why people have got so much sort of discomfort or uncertainty around the development of AI. Because, you know, as as created beings with with free will, to the extent to which we understand that, you know, with these other aspects of junk, this is the human experience that we're talking about. Um, as a Christian person, I would want to say, you know, actually, I've I've got confidence that there there is this bigger narrative in which I sit. You know, God may did make us for a purpose. Now, we, we, we're still sort of scratching around theologically as to kind of all the, the whys of that. And we're never probably going to fully get it. But we do have confidence in a good creator. 
who did who knew who knew what he was doing. Now, yes, there's the problem of evil, and evil's on the loose, and is compromising our humanity at every level and tempting us into destruction, or you know, at every turn almost. But you know, we 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 um, um, you know, I I love this sense in which um, you know, the, the sort of the, the Sunday school question, you know, what 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 was the serpent doing in the garden? You know, there was clearly some kind of angelic rebellion before humanity came on the scene and humanity comes on the scene and you have that promise don't you in um, um you know in, in genesis 3 where god god talks about humanity crushing the head of the serpent you know and so part of our our purpose in the world and, and ultimately it's realized in jesus and the person of jesus and, and and as the church we're called into this this victory of god as it were in the world um you know it's about kind of overcoming the brokenness in our world and 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 um you know, stepping into the, the, the wonder and the beauty of God's creation as it should be and restored human relationships, restored relationship with God, marshalling creation in a way that just brings beauty and life and, and goodness. And so there's a sort of a purpose that we're, we're stepping into. And I kind, of, I kind of get that from our humanities, you know, our journey as Christian people and, and, and actually all of humanity invited into this movement of God, as it were. It's wonderful, um, but now we, but now we're the creator. You know, with artificial intelligence, we're the creator. So, so what? Is, what? What's going on here? Is it? Did God always know that we were going to create artificial intelligence in this way? Was this always part of God's plan? Is it? Is it wrapped up in the bigger plan of humanity's journey towards the world as it should be of the advance of the kingdom? Or is it a is it a dangerous aside? You know, are we are we not ready to be a creator yet? <laughs> Eve, what do you think? Well, the lovely thing is that we we know the answer to all these questions because of our storytelling capacity. So not only do we know all the stories about every time we've tried to make a creature before, um, you know, there are legion stories about how badly that's generally gone. Um, when we've tried to make gods or make, you know, people to love or bring statues to life or, you know, melt down our earrings or whatever it might be, you, you know, we know about that. But we also know about the future because the wonderful thing about sci fi and speculative fiction is that we have taken all these ideas for a walk before. And there is no future scenario we haven't imagined through films and books and video games. So, you know, and of course, if you have any sense that God is omniscient, omniscient then of course God knows all of this. Um, and a bit like God taking the risk in his design of us that we would have free will, it's really interesting that our design choices are not as generous. Um so when we do create things, we have a perennial fear of them leaving our control. And all our stories are about that. All our stories are about, we've created a monster um, because we're in a panic about that. Now, God didn't have a panic about that. God thought, well, look, let's give it a go. Let's give this wretched creation free will. Babe, just to jump in there, you know, we, we were originally made in the image of God. Right? Yeah. We, so God in his perfection and his goodness breathed that into us initially. We know how fallen and wretched we've become. So, you know, isn't it like a mirror? You know, our, the, the fact that we're wanting to control artificial intelligence. Yeah, but in our design, we have the capacity for good. We have the capacity 
to yeah. fulfill God's purposes. And God's purposes are for us to get ever more truly and fully human. I think it's interesting that we have chosen not to do that with our own creation. So with our children, we seem to be very interested in their flourishing and we're quite keen for them to fulfill their purposes. Um, and we tend to wrestle a lot around the kind of loose, tight, discipline, control type things. But we kind of get at the end that you have to let your children go. Um, this seems to be something different for us, though, um, probably because of where it's come from, that it has been about looking at a particular problem you're trying to solve, like the gas supply or the Mars rover. Um, it wasn't a kind of scary Frankenstein moment in a lab where we thought, ha ha, we are going to replicate. Um, because we'd sort of learned that when we tried to do that in the past, because we were being led by bodies, because of the technology we had at the time, um, you know, that was a different sort of category. But it is a really interesting philosophical question. And I was uh, having an interview the other day, and it was the same day that they had reported that the James Webb telescope had finally found a chemical signature from another galaxy far, far away that would suggest the possibility of some kind of life. And of course, it's a really interesting thought experiment given where we started off today around God being the author of all creation, that were an alien to pop into this podcast, um, we would be having to have a conversation with ourselves and with the alien about what we thought its part in God's plan was. And I think what's really interesting from the conversation we're having with AI is we'd probably be very curious about how it came to be. Um, because we have some philosophies that because we were created by we believe God, we somehow have some kind of preciousness and status, and we would probably call it soul, that gives us particular purchase, particular responsibilities, particular status. Now, if an alien came in, we we would have to take a view. Was that alien also created by God, or did the alien get created by another alien in the way that we're creating AI? You know, would that change its status? There's a whole load of really difficult questions for us because we have been the kind of uber species for so long. We haven't really ever really properly had that conversation about what is the essence of our humanity. And that's why I think this is a crucial conversation for the churches because there's a huge soup of kind of Judeo-Christian philosophy behind a lot of our Western lawmaking, but it is now incredibly implicit and very rarely allowed to be explicit because we're not supposed to have theocracies these days. But when you start chipping away at things like the Human Rights Act and trying to figure out human versus robot in a courtroom, you can only believe in humans if you believe in God, because otherwise the whole thing is just speciesist. And actually, if another species or another or an alien or an AI could could beat us, then why would we prevail? And that was my point on the beach in North Berwick was thinking, well, do we have any right to be top dog? Um, what gives us that right? And my only answer really is God. And if you don't personally have that answer because you don't believe in God, then really you have to hand your car keys to the nearest robot, push off to the golf course and, and push off. Because, you know, if the if the narrative about evolution is about improvement, then if there's another species that can do it better than us, then that's it, game over. Brilliant. So it forces, it's going to force some questions um, which we, which a number of us think are coming anyway, 
into our, our kind of current inherited, um, you know, um, secularism. Uh, because actually, the, you know, unless we're clearer about some of our foundations, where we've come from, what's led to the conclusions and the way of life that we, we enjoy, unless we're clear about those, eventually they're going to unravel. And so you're, you know, you're saying this is an opportunity to get clearer, actually, about, about where, where some of that stuff historically has come from. And, you, you know, on the theocracy point, I mean, I just feel, you know, the challenge for Christians is just to try and, try and um, uh, be at the table winning the argument in every moment of the day, isn't it? And, and actually, we're not saying we want to enforce and, and, and oppress you know, our kind of particular theological views, but what we want to say is we want to, we want to contend for particular things at points of decision-making. Um, and, and it's just asking the question, I mean, save our souls, there's a lot of it in the lexicon. And actually, when you start talking to people about what they think they mean about that, it's part of our design. I mean, God made all of us, you know, even the atheists. And, and actually, when you start thinking about, you know, what what is it that, that, yeah. that is the reason that I feel these things? I mean, a really good example mm-hmm. about sort of AI ethics, if you like, is this kind of wholesale adoption of utilitarianism, which is greatest good for the greatest number. As a kind of rule of law, it's in public policy, it's in capitalism, it's everywhere. You know, it's kind of not even seen as an ethic, it's just seen as a kind of no-brainer business case for the world, you know, that's how you just do things. And it also means you can demonstrate, you know, the efficacy of public policy and public spend and tax dollars and all that. But if you think about what happened during COVID, word got out there was the single herd immunity. And word got out that that meant throwing all the grannies and the disabled and the people with pre-existing conditions under a bus. And actually, we didn't like that. We were disgusted. The whole nation rose up and said, not on my watch. That's my granny you're talking about. That's my disabled child. And you're not having them. But, you know, there is no business case for saving all those people. They cost the state an absolute fortune. I mean, was this not a gift from God? You know, a a scourge that would get rid of all of these boring people um, who are, you know, just creating a, a massive drain on the public purse? But we believe that every soul is precious and we believe in the fundamental dignity of every human person. Mm. And we're not having that. But actually, it wasn't just the Christians that didn't like herd immunity. It was all of us. Mm. And that gave me huge hope because actually when you start unpacking that with people, they have to admit there's something something Mm. that they think is important about human dignity. Mm. And actually that that starts getting you into those ontological questions that we just don't talk about anymore. Brilliant. We hope that was really helpful as we start to look at what is Junkers, what does this mean for us as a, a humanity really and as a creation and what this looks like in terms of us stepping forward in using AI, in giving uh, the creation of AI uh, control and power and what it looks like for us in our leadership as well. As we head into the next few episodes, we will be taking a bit more of a deeper dive into what that looks like and how it kind of works in the kingdom of God and what God is doing with us in a wider um, species, really. And so we hope you've enjoyed the podcast episode this week uh, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. (laughs) 